Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Village Church. Thank you for the hello. Um, so for announcements today, um, welcome to the Village Church where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Um, so first things, we've got a couple announcements to roll through. Actually, quite a few, so I'll try to make this prompt. Um, for information, if you look on the front of your bulletin, there's a QR code. Um, you can scan that QR code. It allows you to connect to all our online information about the church, giving of tithes and offerings, along with social media platforms in one place. Um, guests, you can click on the menu item for first-time guests. Um, as far as offerings and tithes, uh, tithes and offerings, um, you can give one of three ways. Um, there, the plate is in the back if you're walking out on the left. Um, you can also mail a check to our uh, physical address. It's 2103 Virginia Boulevard in Huntsville, Alabama, 35811. 
and you can also uh, go online. Uh, it's right on the inside, enterthevillage.net slash give. Um, one thing, a couple, one amendment on the, um, the bulletin is that it says communion is this week. Communion actually will be next week. So not this week, but next week. Um, and then as far as activities for this week coming up, um, on the back, um, most of it's on there. I got a few, a few changes. Today after worship, we do have sun, uh, Sunday equipping classes for all ages. That's at 11. Um, and then at 12:15, the Teague Village Group meets in the church house. Um, this week, uh, church office is closed tomorrow. And on the 21st, this is not in your bulletin. On the 21st, the women's fellowship time is at 5:30 in the church house, followed by uh, Bible study. Uh, Thursday, the 23rd at 7 a.m., the Shipman Therapia Men's Group meets at Just Love Coffee uh, at 5 p.m., again, on February 23rd. Uh, the Goodson Men's Group meets at the Church House. And then uh, next Sunday, service at 9.30, Sunday equipping classes, again, at 11 a.m., and then the Goodson Village Group meets at the Church House. All right? So any other, anybody, any other announcements or anything I missed? All good? All right. Thank you, and... Govern yourselves accordingly. Good morning. Can you think of one thing to be thankful for? Do you have it in your mind? One thing to be thankful for, one way that God has blessed you, either this week or this morning or just in your, the entirety of your lives. Do you have one thing? Can you think of another thing? got it now we maybe we're at two can you think of another thing another way that god has blessed you all of these are um, signs of, of god's faithfulness to each one of us and so as we sing this song in this time of preparation i encourage you as we're singing or maybe you can't multitask. Maybe you can't sing and think at the same time. But I encourage you during this time to think of the ways that God has blessed you or things that you can be thankful for. Sometimes that's hard. I know I'm so guilty of not seeing the forest for the trees, of being so focused on what's happening right in front of me or the things that I think aren't so great that I've missed all the many ways that he is faithful to me, to my family, and all the ways that he smiles on me. So this song says, God has smiled on me. He's been good to me. And I encourage you this morning, don't just sing the song. Really engage that and think about what are the ways that God has smiled on you.
God has smiled on me. God has smiled on me. He has set me free. God has smiled on me. He's been good to me. The next part says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Let's sing that again, amazing grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. I once was lost. But now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. God has smiled on me. God has smiled on me. He has set me worship. It, it, it comes from Micah chapter 17 verses 18 and 19. Please join with me where it says people. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. 
He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Amen. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Amen.
crown him the Lord of years, the potentate of time, creator of the rolling spirit, ineffably sublime. All hail, Redeemer, hail, for thou hast died for me. There's a song, there's a gospel song that says, this is just a rehearsal. (laughs) That just came to my mind when we come in here on Sunday morning and sing. This is just a rehearsal because one day every knee will bow, every nation, every tribe, and we will sing, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. 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 Worthy is the Lamb to receive glory and honor and wisdom and power and might. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. And that's the song that we're about to sing. So this is the rehearsal. Right? But we, we want to get it right later. So that means we can repeat this a little bit as we focus on worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid. Bearing all my sin and shame. In love you came and gave a faith. Thank you for the cross, Lord. 
Thank you for the price you pay, bearing all my sin and shame. In love you came and gave amazing grace. Thank you for this love, Lord. Thank you for the name. me in your cleansing flow. Now all I know is your forgiveness and embrace. Oh, worthy is the Lamb seated on the throne. Crown you now with many
Good morning, church. How are you guys today? Good morning. Worthy is the Lamb, isn't he? Worthy is the Lamb. Well, uh, I just got back from Chicago last week, so uh, I'm glad to actually be back in the church. And while I was in Chicago, a uh, strange thing, well, it wasn't strange, but it was a funny thing happened to me. Uh, I'm one of those guys, I pack my clothes for the whole week, and I'm meticulous about it, so I pack everything I need day to day. Well, one day I was actually getting ready to go out to the store, put on all my clothes, and I bent down to pick up my belt, and I heard this, (laughs) I put my hand back, and I noticed that there was a rip, and it was showing off my cherry under, my cherry red Michael Jordan endorsed Haynes underwear. I'm like, oh man, what am I gonna do? But I decided I'm like, well, I'ma just go ahead and wear these and since my shirt is a little long, I just keep pulling my shirt down to cover up the rip. So I go out to the most popular store in America, Walmart, and I get out the car and I'm pulling this up pulling my shirt down and the rip just keeps it just keeps jumping up while I'm going through the store and I'm wondering man who's actually seeing this and I realized then I'm like this is like my sin I mean it shows from from person to person everybody doesn't see it but sometimes some people see it and ultimately God always sees it but what I thank God for is that he don't just cover up the sin. He actually gives me a brand new pair of jeans that's self-repairing. So anytime they get a rip, they automatically repair themselves. And so I think when I think of like a time of confession, this is about a time where I can actually thank God for not just covering my sins, but taking them away and giving me a brand new pair of jeans. So we're going to go ahead and read the confession of sins, and then we'll have a time of a silent reflection. Okay, the confession of sin comes from Job, Job 2.11-13a. Yet, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. So we'll just take a second to just think back on those things that we can reflect on and just thank God 
that he has taken away both hands. Just like God has taken away our sins, he has given us an assurance that we have been pardoned, we have been freed, we have been released from the powers of sin. And with that in mind, we're going to, I'm going to read Job 2.13 uh, through 2.14. Return to the Lord for your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Now think about that, slow to anger. Man, I've had some bosses that I wish were very slow to anger. I wish sometimes that my parents were slow to anger. I'm sure my children wish that I was slow to anger, but thank God that he is slow to anger and he has steadfast love. Now, if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of the scriptures? And I'm going to say this twice since I didn't say it last time I was up here. If you are able, please stand for the reading of the scripture. All right, we'll be reading Hosea 7, 3 through 16. By their evil they make the king glad, and the princess uh, by by their treachery, they are all adulterers. They are like a heated oven whose baker ceases to stir the fire from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. On the day of our king, the prince princes began, became sick, and with the heat of wine he stretched out his hand with mockery. For with hearts like an oven, they approach their intrigue. All night they anger smolders. In the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven, and they devour their rulers. All their kings have fallen, and none of them calls upon me. Ephraim mixes himself with the people Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers devour his strength, and he knows it not. Gray hairs are sprinkled upon him, and he knows it not. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Yet they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him. For all this, Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. As they go, I will spread over them my net. I will bring them down like birds of the heavens. I will discipline them according to the reports made to their congregation. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, 
for they have rebelled against me. I will redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds for grain and the wine they 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 gash themselves. They rebel against me. Although I train and strengthen their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not upward. They are like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongue. They shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. This is the word of God. And you may be seated. Okay, all right, that sounds weird. Well, I'm Pastor Alex. I'm the senior pastor here. Thank you all so much for being with us today. We're going to now have a time of prayer supplication. So, again, as I said last week, this is a time for us to bring um, our needs to God or the needs of people in our life to God. So let us go to the Lord now and spend a few moments in a prayer of supplication. Father, my heart is heavy for um, my family, particularly uh, Uncle Dennis, whose son passed away this week. We pray for him, my mother-in-law, my Aunt Kay, my wife, and my sister-in-law. They mourn the loss of their cousin. So I just pray comfort over our family, uh, that you will comfort them, us, and our stress and bereavement. I also want to pray for uh, DeMarco's sister-in-law who has stage four cancer. We pray for her, that you comfort her, surround her with those who would not try to make things better, but would just be present with her, comfort her with their presence and love, not quoting Bible verses and telling her God is sovereign. We don't need to hear that. I also pray, Lord, for those in our congregation who also may be dealing with any type of sickness, loss of loved ones, stress, mental health issues, worries, worrying about finances, worrying about bills. But, Father, you remind us of your past faithfulness, of your goodness. I pray that that you will remind us that that you have not abandoned us to the suffering of this life, but but can we be honest for a moment? Sometimes that's what it feels like. Sometimes that, that that's what it looks like. As we navigate conflicts in relationships, as we navigate conflicts on our job, as we look back on our life and it's not what we want, as we deal with pains in our body that just won't go away, Lord, if we're honest, we're we're really just tired. We're really just tired of 
of navigating this valley of the shadow of death. So, Lord, help us to remember that you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Help us, help our unbelief as as a church, as individuals, as families. Help us to call upon you in the midst of the things that we go through. Help us to reach out to you in the things that we're dealing with. We are the only people on the face of the earth when we pray, our prayers are actually heard. And and, and sometimes we, we don't even do it. But I'm grateful that there's a spirit who intercedes on our behalf with with moans and groans that we don't even understand. That even when when we're not praying, he's praying for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence in our life. Thank you that you haven't abandoned us. And I pray that you will remind us of truth, that you will comfort us in the places where we need comfort. You will correct us in the places where we need correction. I pray for all this in Christ's name. Amen. In the play, The Merchant of Venice, William Shakespeare writes, Love is blind. He writes, Love is blind. Lovers cannot see the pretty follies that themselves commit. Love is blind, and lovers cannot see the pretty follies they themselves commit. Is love truly blind? Real love. Does love mean not seeing the flaws and the faults and imperfections in the people that we love so much? Let those questions marinate in your mind for a second. Let them saute in in your heart for a moment. Is love blind? And does love mean you don't ever see the faults in the people that you love? The answer to that question is no. True love isn't blind. What's blind is an infatuation with another person. What's blind is is loving an idealized object rather than a real thing. One university professor writes, people fall in love with their idealized version of their love or with the ideal of being in love rather than with the actual reality of their love. CBC Saints and guests, a love that makes us whole isn't a blind love. But do we believe it? But do we really believe it? The sermon text today is, is Hosea chapter 3, Hosea chapter 7, verse 3, through chapter 8, verse 7. This is going to be one sermon, but it's going to be two sermons. Um, I don't know why I do this to myself. So it's two sermons. The title is Love Isn't Blind, Part 1. Love Isn't Blind, Part 1. And the big idea is God's love for his people isn't a blind love. That's the big idea. God's love for you isn't a blind love.
So please join me as I go and ask the Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of the word. Holy Spirit, you are the one who leads us into all truth. You are the one who lives in Christians supernaturally. And it is your role and your calling and your responsibility to to lead us into all truth. You are the one who helps us to understand Scripture and to also apply Scripture to our life. Apart from you, none of that stuff happens. None of it happens apart from you. Our hearts are not changed apart from you. Our lives are not changed apart from you. Our toxic thoughts are not changed apart from you. So you, the third person within the Godhead, the deposit that guarantees our inheritance, will you help us today for our good and for the glory of our Trinitarian God? It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. God's love isn't blind. He isn't infatuated with us. Nor does he love some ideal version of us. God sees the real us. And he loves the real us. He sees all of our sins. He sees all of our flaws. He sees all of our imperfections. And then he laments them because his love for us isn't blind. Have you thought about that? That God laments your sins because his love for you isn't blind. And we see this truth about God in in our text today. And and one commentator says, God's concern here is the concern of a father for a child who refuses to be helped. That's what he says is happening in this section. God's concern is that of a father or a parent for a child who refuses to be helped. And so all of Israel are like teenagers who foolishly think they know it all and who foolishly think they don't need help for the adults in their life. But Israel is wrong. And God tries to tell them over and over. He he tells them, I clearly see all your sin. I clearly see all your brokenness. And, And I won't turn a blind eye to your issues because I love you. He laments their covenant unfaithfulness. He laments their half-heartedness towards him. You see, God's love isn't blind to Israel's internal and domestic issues. See, Israel is unlike any nation that has ever existed. that That is really the nation of God. There's no nation today that can say that's God's nation. But the people of Israel here, that's his people. The government is his people. And he laments the problems within the highest levels of Israel's government. First, Israel's royal court turns the sins of the people into a source of entertainment. Unlike the Lord God, the government leaders, they turn a blind eye to the evil in the lives of the people under their leadership. They're not correcting the people, nor are they making sure justice takes place. Look at Hosea 7.3. It says, by their evil, they make the king glad, and the princes by their treachery. The message Bible says, they entertain the king with their evil circus. They, de- they, de- they and delight the princes with their aerobatic lies. Think about that. 
the people are being treated like medieval court jesters. Do you know what a court jester does? It's a professional clown, a professional fool. And this person typically wears a, a cap with a bell on it, and he looks like a clown, and his person's purpose is to entertain the royal court. That's what's happening here. The people's sin, their mess, their brokenness, and their issues are entertainment for the royal court. So much so that the sins of the people, it makes them happy. They're rejoicing in evil. That is, and that's covenant unfaithfulness. The, if you can picture this, the leaders are sitting back and they watch moral decline happen. They sit back and they watch social injustice happen. And this is all kinds of wrong. The sins of God's people here are basically reality TV. This is like us laughing and being entertained by the mess that we watch on TV shows. So the question for us is, what socially acceptable sins in American culture have become a source of our entertainment that we sit back and laugh at? How are we rejoicing in the things in American culture that are displeasing in the eyes of our God? These Israelite government leaders are taking pleasure in, in watching people ruin their lives, their communities, their nation, and their own families. And, and the Lord isn't blind to their action. He laments it, and he's not pleased with the king. He's not pleased with the nobility. He's not pleased with the, the officials. He communicates his displeasure with assembly by calling them an overheated oven. Look at verse 4. They are all adulterers. They are like an oven whose baker ceases to stir the fire from the needling of the dough until it is leavened. The image here is, is, is of a super-sized oven, a big old oven that, that, that has wood and coal and try to heat it up. And so the, what's happening here is that these leaders are red hot in adultery, which is both spiritual and physical. They're, they're hot to trot for their sinful passions and desires. They have uncontrollable lust. It's like a hot oven that holds its temperature without the fire ever needing to be stirred. And one of these uncontrollable lusts they have is for political power. Lust for power is the second problem God sees in Israel's government. And this lust for power is an idol. And it can become an idol for us as well. In the church, in our relationships, in Christian ministries, in Christian nonprofits, in Christian businesses, in Christian schools, in Christian clubs, in our military, whatever. The lust for power can be there. In what areas of your life do you lust? control. There's a quote that says, power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. The idol of power is a problem in Israel. Again, we can't look back in here and say, well, that's them. You, there's something you want control over in your life. So we all crave it, but can we admit it? 
the stability of the, the, the instability of Israel government, the stability of Israel's government is shaken by political chaos, corruption, betrayal, lies, and even murder. Israel's domestic politics suffer suffers from systemic brokenness. The whole system is broken, and so are the people responsible for making sure the system functions properly and justly. It's a game of thrones in Israel. No one in a position of power and authority and influence can be trusted. That's what the next three verses show us. In the next three verses, the king, the current king that's sitting on the throne, he throws this wild party with members of his royal court. There's food, there's music, there's dancing, there's wine. There's a whole lot of immorality and godliness taking place. I mean, they are toe up drunk with wine. And in the middle of this wild party, there are some plotting against the king. The king thinks he's having fun with, with, with a good old time with allies and trusted friends, but he's not. And that's a principle for us. Everybody said that your friend ain't your friend. The king is sadly mistaken, for there are those in this party whose hearts are flaming with lust for power. They want his throne. They want his position. They want his crown. They want his political power. And they will even commit murder to get what they want, to get what they covet. We should never underestimate what people in power will do to keep power and, pe- and what people would do to get it. Look at verses 5 through 7a. On the day of the king, the princes become sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hands with mockers. For with their hearts like ovens, they approach the intrigues. And all night, their, their, eagle, their, their anger smothers in the morning. It blazes like flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven. They devour their rulers. All their kings have fallen. Israelite kings have actually fallen. God is not being a poet here. He laments real history, real political corruption. One scholar writes, Israel's last three decades were of turmoil and trees. One conspirator after another hacked his way to the throne, only to be murdered in his own turn. Of the six kings who reigned in those 30 years, four were assassinated, and only one died in his own bed. And you can read that history in 2 Kings 15. That's what God is talking about. It's a hot mess. So what application can we draw from this information? Because, again, we don't live in a monarchy. We're not living in Old Testament times. The first application is this. We are not beyond these problems and issues. And what do you mean by that, Pastor Alan? You see Christian churches, Christian denominations, Christian ministries, and Christian organizations can easily fall into the same institutional brokenness that's happening in Israel. And so can the village church, but do we believe it? TBC Saints, Christianity in America isn't without sin here. Please know that. There, there is corrupt leadership. There is betrayal. 
There is backstabbing. There is shady politics. There is an uncontrollable lust for power and, and property and privileges within Christianity in America. And I believe majority of the problems with Christianity in America are internal. Not what's outside Christianity in our churches. It's those unresolved issues in our churches and denominations and ministries and organizations that are the greater threat. It's the mistakes we try to cover up and hide that are the greater mistake, greater threat. And the Lord God isn't blind to these issues. Don't let our first world issues deceive you into thinking that Christianity in America is clean. That everything is just clean. That we don't have anything to repent of. God sees. And like a grieving father, he laments the brokenness within Christianity in America, do we? Don't let the fancy buildings fool you. Don't let the big buildings fool you. I know our building ain't going to fool you because, you know, it ain't fancy. <laughs> it's broken just like we are. So, <laughs> so. But the point is, when you drive by all these churches in our city, the beauty you see on the outside might not always exist on the inside. There's a whole lot of mess going on. And God sees it. Just like he sees the, the broken government and the mess of broken politics in Israel. And look at what he says in, in, verse, in verse 7b. The Lord says, and none of them call upon me. Think about that. All, and all these assassinations and all this brokenness and all this corruption and all everything that has happened, none of them. So I need to call upon me. What does God mean by calling upon him? He's not talking to my cell phone call. He's not saying sending him a text message with a whole bunch of emojis. He's not calling out your kids to go clean their rooms. This is calling upon the name of the Lord. And such a call expresses dependency upon him. It comes from a place of trust, like trusting in, in what God reveals to, to be true. This calling upon God, it, it comes from a, a covenant relationship with him. It comes from a heart that submits to his will and even acknowledges his, his sovereign power and authority and leadership. It is called, comes when you remember God's promises. It comes from a place of faith and repentance. Where is my amen sign? Where is my new one? There we go. Right here. Right there. TVC Saints, these government leaders don't call upon the Lord because they aren't living in a covenant relationship with him. And this is a side note. This is for free. Christians in America, we get mad when our government don't call upon our God. Maybe they don't call upon him because they don't know him. You know him and don't call upon him. But you want people who don't know him to do it. They're, they're not taking all their government problems to him because they don't trust that he can fix the problems. What about us today? Do we call upon the name of the Lord? Do we call upon him 
when problems and issues are revealed inside this church? Do we call upon him or do we gossip and slander? What do we do? Those questions lead to a second application. Are you ready? Please make a note of this. We call upon the Lord with Christ, saving faith in Jesus Christ. Do I need to pull up the sign? Okay. To call upon the name of the Lord requires us to have saving faith in Jesus. And saving faith means to trust and to surrender to Jesus. It's not knowing a whole bunch of stories about him. Not knowing just all the facts about him. It's trust and it's surrender. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In the Greek, that means I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what it means. In the English translation and in the Greek. There's no way to get around that. Can't spin that. You can't make it less offensive. Can't make it less exclusive. I'm the way. In Village Church, we can't call upon the name of the Father apart from Jesus. We have to go through him. So is Jesus your Lord and Savior today? Is he your Redeemer and King? If your answer is no, then Jesus laments for you. He laments for you. And think about that. He laments because he knows that you are separated from the Father because of your sins. Jesus isn't blind to your lostness. He sees it. And instead of being entertained by your lostness, he alone does what is necessary so your lost soul can be found. He sacrifices himself for all your sins on the old rugged cross. All your sins, past, present, and future, are nailed to that cross. All of God's wrath is poured out upon him and not you. And right now, he wants you to call upon him for salvation. Okay? One day, all knees will bow. Well, he says, I want you to bow now. He wants us to for you to confess that you are a sinner and, and, and that and he is your savior. And then he wants you to repent of your sins by asking for forgiveness. And then he wants you to submit and to surrender your whole life to him as your redeemer and king. Isaiah 55 says, come, everyone who thirsts. You're thirsty. You're thirsty. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. Come to me. Hear that your soul may live. The only way our soul can live and have everlasting life is through saving faith in Christ alone. Period. So come to him. And if you have already came to him in faith, then he wants you now to live by faith in him. Living by faith is the third application for us. If you are a Christian, Please know Jesus isn't blind to your sins either. Even though he died for all of them. 
His love isn't blind. He sees our sin struggles, and he laments them when we live with unrepentant hearts. And then he gets the Holy Spirit to convict us into repentance and confession. That's what happens. Jesus wants those of us who who have saving faith in him to live by faith and repentance. That's what he wants you to live by, faith and repentance. That's it. Believe in him and repent when you mess up. Can't get no simpler than that. He wants us to call upon him when we see issues within our church and in our families. He wants us to confess and repent when we're the cause of those issues. He wants us to call upon the Holy Spirit to help us love people more than politics. To love people more than power. To love people more than property. To love people more than the American dream, to love people more than ministry, to love people more than our agendas and causes, to love the real people who make up our Christian community than our ideal of Christian community. Because your ideal ain't ever going to be reality. Because this Christian community is made up of a whole messed up, broken people. Colossians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But do we believe this? Do we live by faith and repentance? Do we call upon the name of the Lord? Be honest. For he already knows. Just like he knows what is happening inside of Israel's broken government. He isn't blind to the mess or the corruption. He sees how they have turned power into an idol. And next, God isn't blind to Israel's self-sufficiency. Like power, self-sufficiency is an idol. It's an idol for these leaders and for all the people. And the Lord laments their self-sufficiency. He laments them trying hard to function independently of him. All of, again, all of Israel, they're teenagers who blindly think they know more than God. They, they think they have all the wisdom. They think they have life all figured out as they live in your house. And don't pay no bills. Turn to Hosea chapter 4, chapter 8, verse 4. If you have your Bible or Bible app. Hosea chapter 8, verse 4. I want you to hear, hear God's heart when I read this, this, this verse. He says, they made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. They they put leaders in positions of power without consulting the Lord their God. Do you hear God's fatherly concern in these words? I know what's best for them, but they refuse to listen to me. I know what kind of kings and officials they need, but they refuse to come to me for counsel. Because they think they know it all. All of Israel, they're doing the opposite of Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Be wise not in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn from evil. And you will, and it will be healing for your, 
uh, flesh and refreshment to your bones. Israel, they're not trusting the Lord. They are not acknowledging him in all their ways. Instead, they are leaning on their own understanding. They're being wise in their own eyes. They're bound, they, they are bowing down to the idol of self-sufficiency. And self-sufficiency is an idol of American culture, and it does exist in the church. It does. Because you can plant a church and have church and not depend upon God. If you got the right people and the right money. You can have a conference, a ministry, all the, all the good deeds in the world, and do it self-sufficiency without God because of the country we live in. How is self-sufficiency an idol in your life? How are you saying to God, I got this? Marriages, parenting, careers, church, how? How are we saying to God, I got this? I don't need your help. I need a little bit of your help, but because I got money and I got connections, I got the right people, I got this. One American president once says, intoxicated with unbroken success, we become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. One way to see if you're being self-sufficient is how is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? Have you made self-sufficiency a God that you worship? Be honest. Don't hide. The Lord already knows. He sees it. Remember, his love for us isn't blind. He's not blind to our self-sufficiency. He laments the ways we try to do life apart from him. He does. I struggle with it. You struggle with it. And right now at this moment, he wants all of us to be honest about it. Confess our self-sufficiency and then ask for forgiveness. If you can easily notice the self-sufficiency in others, then guess what? You struggle with it too. Finally, God isn't blind to Israel's false gods. Look at verses in chapter seven, still in chapter eight, verse four C through six. He says, With their silver and gold they made idols for their own destruction. I have spawned a calf of Israel. My anger burns against him. How long would they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel a craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. Israel creates their own false gods, ones that they can mold and shape into their own image, one that they can control, one that they can bend to their own will. And Israel is blind to the dangers of idolatry. They're sowing the seeds of their own destruction, but don't even know it. Think about that. And the Lord isn't blind to this. He sees it and he laments it. 
his, his righteous anger burns against him because, again, they refuse to listen. He, look at what it says. How long would they be incapable of innocence? A long time. He's a concerned father trying his best to impart wisdom to a stubborn people. He's warning them. He's saying, there's a cliff ahead. Hey, uh, uh, there's a cliff ahead. You need to slow down. If you don't slow down, you're going to go off that cliff. He's yelling and screaming, there's a cliff ahead. Will y'all please slow down and listen? Will you please listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth? Danger, danger, danger. There's a cliff ahead. And if you keep going, you're going to go off the cliff. But you know Israel got noise canceling headphones on. And they don't even hear him. They blindly and foolishly push forward and they eventually go off the cliff. What about us? Are you ignoring the warning signs because your idols just feel too good to give up? They taste too good. Are you canceling out all the wise counsel other people are giving you because you just can't let go of that bad relationship? You just can't let go of that situation. You just can't let it go because it feels so good. Who or what have you fashioned into an idol that you just cannot live without? Please know you're sowing the seeds of your own destruction and don't even know it. Please don't turn a blind eye to, to your idols of power and self-sufficiency and people and material possessions. God wants us to just admit this. Can we just admit it? Can we just confess it? And First John 1.19 says, what, if we confess our sins, he's going to judge us and send us to hell. Is that, is that what it says? No. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm not going pe- to preach past my conclusion, but I will say this. Everybody in your life can't be safe with your brokenness, but God is always safe with your brokenness, your pain, your sins, your struggles, your unbelief. And he is saying to you, come to me. Call upon me for help, and I'll help you. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, that you are a God that we can call upon, that you are a safe place for our pain, for our brokenness. And as your word says, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and that you will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we leave this place as we go to Sunday equipment classes and sermon discussion that that you will help us to recall these words this week. We're going to forget this sermon probably before we even leave the sanctuary. But Holy Spirit, you 
recalls these words. You bring these words back to our hearts and minds this week so that we will know that all the Father wants us to do is when we mess up is just own it, confess it, and he will forgive us and cleanse us. I pray for all of this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Will you please stand, saints, as we close our service? Two.
Calvary, at Calvary, mercy is great and grace is free. If you are a guest today, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, also, we will encourage you to scan the QR code in your worship guide and to fill out our guest form. I would really appreciate that. And here's God's benediction to his beloved. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please greet one another, saints.